Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to go to verse 12. Uh, and as you're turning there, I had an interesting thing I saw on my windshield this morning. See, you're laughing, and I know why. Uh, so, so I had to get a tune-up on my car, so I took it over to George Hendricks at Sunshine, who does an amazing job. And, and I, but I was out at a men's event yesterday, and, or uh, on Friday, and I needed somebody to drop my car off. And I said, just put it in the church parking lot. And uh, so, so it was sitting in, one of my friends parked it in the handicap spot. And so, so I came and picked up the car last night, and then I realized there's something in my windshield wiper. And... Um, and it's a parking citation. And I was thinking to myself, how in the world could that happen? I'm on church property. Like, how do they do that? And then it said, my, my license plate, um, my, my car is affectionately known around here as the little mango seed. And um, it says, my, my license plate says, God gave. And it says, God gave, whatever. What year is it? It's old. What make is it? Not American. What color is it? Girl yellow. And then it says, what time is it? For a time for a butt kick. Location of the violation, God's holy house. <laughs> then every single check mark of what I've done wrong is listed there. It says, is there any other violation? Yes, you talk too much about sex. <laughs> and it says, get your car off church property. And I know that's Micah's handwriting. <laughs> And he had some help from Dave Barnes back there. <laughs> it's great to have you guys in the house of the Lord. And uh, great to have our online campus joining us. And uh, those that are watching on TV 40, it's great to have you. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 6, starting in verse 12. And if you didn't hear two weeks ago... Um, Pastor Mike Molino was here. How many enjoyed Pastor Mike when he was here? What a tremendous word. He talked, about, he talked about doing the right thing, but doing it in the wrong way. And he said that when David brought the Ark of the Covenant, he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David, into Jerusalem, that they did it the wrong way. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is a very special piece of furniture amongst all the pieces of furniture that were in the tabernacle, and, and uh, it is a backless throne. That's really what it is. It, it has, uh, it's a gold box made of a certain type of wood. It, it was covered in gold. Incredible artistry was put into it. Inside the gold box is the, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, that was literally tapped out by hand by Moses himself. It also, so it has God's law. It has also in it a, um, a jar of manna, which was the provision of God. So here's a, it's the law of God. It's the provision of God. And it had in it a, um, a staff, the staff that belonged to the high priest Aaron, which was an almond uh, is made out of almond wood, and the Lord caused it to, even after it had been cut off dead and dry, it budded and produced almond fruit, right? It was a miracle that the Lord had done. Those three articles were inside. Then it has two cherubs, two cherub angels with their wings coming together, and the area between those two angels is called the mercy seat. 
And this represented the very presence of God because it's a throne. And it's to be carried by men, but they tried to carry it, uh, they tried to put it into a new ox cart because that's what the Philistines had done it. They didn't check to see what the Scripture had asked them to do. In Numbers chapter 4, it records it perfectly. This is the way you move the articles of the Lord. In fact, you shouldn't have even been able to see the Ark of the Covenant because it was to be covered in a porpoise skin, and then it had to be covered in blue. But not looking at the Scripture, they were doing it their way. Now, David had good intentions, but the wrong execution because he didn't know what the Word of God said. And when you try to serve God but not knowing what God wants, that presents a problem. How many know that's America today? Lots of people say, well, you know, I'm serving God. I just serve God my way. And lots of people think there's many ways to serve God. In fact, you'll hear this quite often. There's many ways to get to God. I heard Barack Obama say that once. He says, oh, there's lots of ways to get to God. I'm a Christian, but there's lots of ways. And I said, what you just said is not Christian. Because the Bible says Jesus said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the light, and no man comes unto the Father except he come by me. That is a very exclusive statement. It means that when you come to God, you have to come to God God's way. They didn't come to God God's way. They didn't carry His presence the way God wanted it done. And there's a lot of people in our world today who claim Christianity, but they throw out verses they don't like. They don't talk about those things. They redefine things until they can make up a religion they can live with. That's not Christianity, folks. That's a pollution of Christianity. And the reason that God cares about it is because all these things point to Jesus. He is the type, shadow, and picture behind the Old Testament. And so what happens is you end up obscuring the picture. Well, what does Uzzah do? Uzzah reaches out his hand. When the ox cart stumbles, and, and Uzzah the priest, because they're not doing this the way God said, he touches the ark, and God strikes him dead. And David is mad over this. Hey, Lord, how can I get the ark to come to me? And he said that he feared the Lord. And, 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 and Pastor Mike said rightly, you know, the fear of the Lord is a good thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. And so many today, they don't have a fear of the Lord. Well, now David has to figure out, well, how do I get the ark to come to me? And what do you know? He goes, what did I do wrong? He didn't know the word, and the people who should have told him, the priests, didn't tell him, and so he ends up doing this colossal blunder, and somebody loses their life over it. So now he goes back to Numbers 4, and he goes, how do you do it right? Okay, we're going to do it that way. And so he wants the presence of God amongst the people. Now, I have a question for you, Life Church. Do you want the presence of God? Do, just raise your hand. If that's you, you want the presence of God. How many know He's a holy God? He's a holy God, which means He wants us to live a certain way. He wants us to do things a certain way, and to do it the right way, we're going to have to look into His Word and find out what's the right way to do it. So, verse 12, 
Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. Whenever Uzzah dies, they're like, okay, stop the procession, the 30,000 worshipers that we have. Everything went wrong. Let's stop and figure out what we have to do. But they put the ark of the covenant into Obed-Edom's house. And God's blessing has fallen on this man and his family. And David is jealous for the presence of God. And David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. The last one had been a funeral. This time nobody's going to die. It's going to be with gladness. Do you know that that's the way we should come into the presence of God? I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. Right? There is, there is gladness. Finally, the presence of God is amongst His people in our city. Verse 13, and so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, the sacri they sacrificed an ox and a fatling. So, animals are not to be the carriers of the presence of God. I know that's the way it happened with the Philistines when they had to get it out of their their towns, they put it on that new ox cart. They didn't know any better. See, God looks over a lot of things when you don't know any better. But He expects His people to read His Word. And now you got to know better. And this time, now they have, it wasn't just that it had to be any priest. It had to be a certain Levitical line. Certain family members carried certain things. And they, they finally put the presence of the Lord up on those poles, up on their shoulders. Why? Because people are carriers of the presence of God. The priests are carriers of the presence of God. And so they put it up there. They go, one, two, three, four, five, six, stop. Let's sacrifice. Let's get this right. And so... They killed the ox and the fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. Now, he's dancing. Who should dance? Some people can and some people can't. <laughs> um, is dancing okay in the presence of God? Well, yes, it is. Now, there aren't a lot of scriptures to talk about dancing before the Lord, but this is one. And so, I would just say this. If you feel led to dance before the Lord, just don't make yourself the spectacle everybody's paying attention to. Because really here at Life Church, what we're trying to do is keep our attention on God. That's even why we don't want... We don't want all of the worship leaders to run all their, their, to show all of what they're capable of doing with every trill of their voice. We want the attention to stay on Jesus. C.S. Lewis said that. He said, the perfect worship experience would be one that you're so unaware of because all the attention's on Jesus. Now, we need good production to, 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 to just, you know, come together, make it all of one accord, but it's not about that. It's about the presence of the Lord. And David is dancing before the Lord. Why? Because there's joy and gladness in his heart. 
And as he's dancing, he's whirling and twirling, but he's wearing only the linen ephod. What is a linen ephod? It, would, it was actually a super comfortable piece of, of linen that would have been like an undergarment. Now, what it's telling you is he took off his outer kingly robes. He took off his kingly vestment. Some people say he danced naked before the Lord. I don't think that's correct. But he dances not as King David. He dances as David the worshiper. Remember David the worshiper, the young guy out in the field who would play, play the harp and make up worship songs to the Lord? that the Psalms contained his songs and prayers. It was that intimate relationship with God that David is connecting back to. He's going back to the passion of his heart. And God finds the worshiper, and he says, oh, I can make a worshiper into a champion, and I can turn the champion into a king. I can give that kind of person authority. That's my boy. David, he's humbled himself. He doesn't care about everybody seeing him as King David. Just see me as a worshiper today. And so David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and sounds of the trumpet. It got loud. In fact, there's a passage that I encourage you to read that is a mirror of this passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, and it literally records it with even more detail down to what were the words of the song that David wrote, pulling three of his psalms together into one psalm so you can see how they sang and worshiped God and what they talked about, and it's romantic and beautiful. It says also in that passage that Asaph, a lot of times you'll read the Psalms and it'll say a Psalm of David, or many times you'll see it's a song of Asaph. Asaph was a worship leader with the anointing of God on him, and when he worshiped in that passage, it says, and he was loud on the cymbals. So if you have a problem with drums, you might want to reconcile yourself to that verse, right? It just, it, it, it's, it's saying, with, uh, it got loud. And so David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. Now watch this. And it came, and, and then it happened as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David that Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Now, who is this woman? For some of you who you weren't with us when we went through 1 Samuel, let me give you a, a small refresher course. When David is probably just about 17 years old, he goes up against Goliath. And part of the what he would win, along with his whole family being exempted of taxes, his father's house being exempted from taxes in Israel, is that he would win the princess of Israel, Michal, the daughter of King Saul. That was a big deal. Because immediately you go from nothing to son-in-law of the king. And when he killed Goliath, he won her. 
But Saul has a problem with David. He, he, he recognizes him as a threat to his power, to his throne. And so he, he's trying to figure out how to get David killed. And he says, yeah, I know I made that promise to you about, about my daughter, but you're going to have to go and get a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And he sets the bride price at a hundred foreskins. Now that might sound like a weird thing to you, but he's trying to get David to get killed as he goes after those hundred Philistines. And David has a romantic heart. How many like romance? You would say, I'm a romantic. Come on, raise your hand. Be proud. I'm a romantic. I cry over movies and stuff like that. You can mock me all you want. I didn't hear what you said, but I'll get even... Oh, you'll cry with me. Okay, good. David is romantic. Instead of bringing 100, he goes out and gets 200. And I want you to see that his romance is something that I think pleases the Lord. Can you imagine what Michal feels like whenever David walks back in alive and he's got two bags of weird, weird payment, but two bags of foreskins, throws them down before Saul and said, she's worth so much to me, I got you 200. She's like, oh, oh, he's such a beautiful man. I mean, she would, have, she would have been so overwhelmed with such a romantic expression. And I believe that romance is the heart of God. My wife's birthday was last night, and um, and I know she loves the water, and she loves Rick's Boatyard out on the west side. She loves, she's a photographer, and she tries to get what's called golden hour in her pictures when she takes pictures of people. She knows that that light coming from a certain direction just makes it beautiful. So she's really a, a creature of sunsets. And so I got a reservation, I got it for 8.15. I knew that the sun would come down. I asked for a, a, a table on that water. I made sure that her children were there and that everyone was dressed appropriately for a picture. Okay? <laughs> the reason I did it is because I see God as incredibly romantic and it only seems to be appropriate to me that as a husband, I also practice romance. And I've been married now for 24 years, and I have no intention of getting less romantic because I was romantic from the beginning and won her heart, and I intend to keep it. And I would challenge every husband and every young man that when you lean into romance, you lean into the heart of God. That when you lean into romance, just Take a look at the world around you and see God loves you so much. I think it's inappropriate when we as married couples don't act with appropriate romance. We should be growing in it, not dying in it. And so David goes and gets 200 of these, of these foreskins, comes back, he wins Michal. And she, she saves his life at one point. Saul comes after him to kill him, and she hides a household god in the, in the bed, covered its head to make it look like hair, told, 
told Saul that, oh, you can't come, he's sick, and, and Saul's just trying to kill him. And she did everything in her power to sneak him away to safety. And there's a little scripture there that says, and Michal loved David. But now we see that she despised him in her heart. What happened? Some life happened. Whenever he's running for his life and he's out in the wilderness, he picks up two more women. He marries two. That is a way to kill romance. Don't go and get any more women, gentlemen. Only one woman for one lifetime. Give your whole heart to her. But he goes and gets two more women, and then he has children to them, and then he becomes king, and he is king in Judah only, and he adds more women and more and more children. And then it says, he, he gathered to himself concubines and wives. Now, I believe that when you see the concubines first and wives, it's because in numbers, he's getting more concubines women he sleeps with that he's not married to than he does wives. But finally, when he's going to pull the whole kingdom together, he says, look, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll merge the kingdom together, but you won't see my face if you don't bring me Michael, who I paid the bride price for, Michal. And so she's taken from, she was actually given to another man who really loved her. He was crying as she went away from him. And, and now... Now, he gets this wife, and she's got this animosity against him because of all the other women in his life. Now, ladies, let's be honest. David kind of deserves that, doesn't he? See, here's the great thing about the Scripture. It shows you the Bible characters, warts and all. It's honest about the scriptures. David is a great king. He is a great leader. He loves God. He's a terrible father and a bad husband. And yet, remember in the passage before he didn't know to do right? He didn't know to do right. He had to find out how God wanted it done. David is learning. So let's not take that away from him. But he's caused a lot of problems, and this woman is angry with him. She has a problem with other women in his life. She's ticked off. She despises him in her heart. And so they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent which David had pitched for it, and David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. He's doing the right thing by God here. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Further, he distributed to all the people and to all the multitude of Israel, both to men and to women, a cake of bread and one of dates and one of raisins to each one. And then to all the people he departed, uh, then all the people departed each to his house. He's like, this is a day of celebration. I am literally going to pay for your party. Here you go. I've taken it from my own wealth. I want all of you to go back and celebrate that the presence of God has come in amongst us. Go celebrate and bless your families. 
He's having some dots that are connecting in his mind about how things ought to be. He's like, let's go strengthen our families. Let's go celebrate the presence of God. But when David returned to bless his household, that's his motivation. I want to bless my household. He's coming back to speak words of life over them. He's coming back to do something right by them. When he returned to bless his household, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel distinguished himself today. Boy, can you hear what's in between their relationship? By the way, this is one of the famous marital spats of the Bible. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of the servants' maids as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. She has a problem with how he deals with women. And the women have liked him a lot. Remember the songs that have been sung about David? Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands, sung by the women. Oh, he loves God, but he's got women problems. And the women seem to stir it up. She's mad at how he has appeared in front of the maids, not in his kingly vestment, but like a commoner. Now, who's her dad? Saul. How did Saul care about how everybody viewed him? He was very concerned. He told Samuel after he did wrong, hey, just, just sacrifice with me in the eyes of the people. He cared very much what people thought of him. So like father, like daughter, she cares very much how she appears. You're supposed to be distinguished. You're supposed to act like a king. And you were, weren't acting like a king. And you were dancing in your, in your linen ephod like a commoner. And she's ticked off. She's critical. And I got to tell you, I think a critical spirit arises where there is unforgiveness. And even though David has done wrong with all of these wives, he was not permitted to do what he did. And, and, and doesn't it make sense that if there was going to be a child that would become the next king of Israel, it would be the house of Israel, or a house of David and the house of Saul coming together, it would make sense that it would be her child that would sit on the throne. Only there's this prophetic word from Samuel that said the kingship is going to be cut off from the line of Saul. We didn't know how it was going to happen. We just knew that there was a word out there. This explains why it wasn't going to be from this lineage that the next king comes. She says, you've acted in an undignified manner. We really care what people think of us, don't we? I mean, in many ways, we really care. In fact, I think what happens is kind of you age, you, you care less, and you start to care really about how God sees you and not so much about how everybody else sees you. But boy, does she care. And David 
Her words of criticalness get met back with words of criticalness. And that's the way it happens in our, in our fights as married couples, doesn't it? The Bible says that we should, you know, give a soft answer instead of a hard one. That a soft answer turns away wrath. But there's unforgiveness and bitterness that have not been dealt with. By the way, what's the secret of being married? It's becoming experts at forgiving one another. So David answers her and said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me over your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. God did not choose your dad. God pulled the kingdom out of your dad's eyes because, or out of his hand because of how he cared so much about what people thought of him, and he didn't do right in front of, in front of the Lord. He said, God chose me over your dad. And he says, and it was really before the Lord that I worshiped. When I was doing what I was doing and dancing before the Lord, I didn't care. I was doing it because I was grateful and I loved the Lord. And he said, did that offend you? Oh, I will be, I will be more lightly esteemed than this. In another translation, it says, I'll become even more undignified than this. Did you think I, I'm, I, I, I looked like an idiot worshiping God? Oh, I don't care what I look like. I'll do even worse. I'll become more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes, but with the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished. All those girls you're afraid of what I'm going to look like, they will love me because I love the Lord, and they'll know it's sincere and genuine. And it says, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Now, the Bible gives us a picture of marriage as our understanding of how God deals with us. Do you know that? That's how much God cares about marriage. We are the, the bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom. So when we see marriage lived well, it points to Jesus. And when we see marriage screwed up, it shows us that that doesn't live up to the picture that Christ and the church are supposed to have with one another. And in marriage, there's this one special thing we get to do that we can only do when we are married in covenant relationship with somebody of the opposite sex. It is to have sex. And sex, as much as any illustration of God, is designed to show us His glory. In fact, this whole text was a worship text. And worship is, in the, in the language, it is to kiss towards. How many know there's different ways you can kiss? There's a peck. That's not a lot of passion. But it's nice. There's a degree you can hold a kiss couple moments, that's a more passionate kiss. And then there's that part where you begin to open your mouth a little bit. You're like, oh, you're talking about French kissing, by the way. 
Before the French could figure it out, the Bible talks about it. We just call it the Hebrew kiss. And there's a whole lot more to, to love making than just kissing. There is what is appropriate in a marriage relationship. The Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled. See, you were given sex as a picture of the type of intimacy and closeness in relationship, the passion that you were meant to have with Jesus. And you're like, that's gross. I've never thought of Jesus that way. Well, in the picture, he's the bridegroom and we're the bride. And a lot of times, whenever a pastor should preach on sex, and a lot of times, I'll just be honest, here's my feeling. It is the beauty of God. It's the beauty of God. In its right context, it's wonderful. And more preachers ought to preach on it because when we leave a vacuum in society because we don't talk about something, the devil comes and he fills it with lies and distortions. And then we have the big mess we have today. Had the church talked about sex in a way that made it beautiful and showed that it was God's genius idea, I don't think we'd be in the world of hurt that we are as a nation. And I don't apologize for talking about sex. I want you to realize that you can have closeness and intimacy with God just like you have closeness and intimacy with your spouse. And you want, you, you could pick with your spouse, either I'm going to participate or I'm not going to participate. Sex with your spouse when your spouse is not participating, that's not good. And yet in worship, which is the picture of sex, what we're supposed to have with God, how many times do we stand there whenever there's an opportunity to worship God with our hands in our pockets. Now, worship is more than singing. Worship is more than just lifting our voice or lifting our hands. Worship is the lifestyle of the Christian. It's, it's how you do your job. It's, it's how you give generously. It's all the things that you do God's way that is your expression of affection for God. That's worship. But how many times do we look like we're not even participating in this thing? And God, with all of his romance, is pouring out his love. We won't even kiss him back. Worship, to kiss towards. We should embrace God. Is there passion in your relationship with God? Let me ask you a question. Is there passion in your marriage? Do you remember all that passion you had when you first got married? Have you let it die? Do you want it back? I want the sex lives of the people of Life Church with their spouse to be phenomenal. I want your romance to just go all out because and listen, I'm not even listen, I'm not gonna go after the women today. I'm gonna go after the men because life church is a church built for men. Men, 
if you're the wife of Christ, do you kiss him with affection? If spiritually speaking, you're the wife of Christ, you say, oh, I want my wife to be passionate for me in bed. How passionate are you for Jesus in your worship, in your devotions, in the way you live your life? Because if our wives see us passionate for Jesus, leading them in prayer, leading them in family devotions, leading them to the house of the Lord, when we act the right way towards Jesus, our wife finds that sexy. The sexiest thing you could do for your wife is lead her spiritually. She's dying for that. And if you will do that, then when you sow that, being that good wife to Jesus, then you can expect to reap that your sex life, your passion with your wife, the respect and honor that she gives to you will come back in your direction. Some of you come from Baptist backgrounds and Catholic backgrounds, and Lutheran and Church of God. And you come from all kinds of places where you go, well, we don't worship that way. Look, whatever's passionate to you, whatever would express romance on your part towards Jesus, I'm going to ask you just to do what's appropriate. See, Pastor Nathan, I'll look like an idiot if I start dancing. I'm not asking you to look like an idiot, but I am asking you to express romance to God. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? It's all about the heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. I lift my hands to the Lord. It just seems inappropriate not to. I sing out new words of worship to the Lord because He gave me words and I think He deserves them. So I open my mouth and I worship and I clap my hands and I might dance before Him because it just seems appropriate. Notice that Michael has no children. I think it's because David decides he's never going to sleep with her again because that critical nature is there. Can you just in, in your own heart right now, just give, give all your critical spirit of how other people worship God, give that away. Let, let the bitterness roll away. Let forgiveness come and worship God like you're kissing his face for his romance. And I'm going to ask you to practice it. I was really touched by what I saw in worship as at the first part of the service. Let's do even better now. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcast. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.